Welcome to Twitch of the Death Nerve, a cult movie podcast that takes a deep dive into a different topic each episode. Our wide-ranging discussions will touch on genre, culture, and the history of psychotronic cinema. I'm Charles. I'm Sam. While I know there is no real significance to the calendar resetting to January, it does have a bit of a renewing feeling. Something about entering a fresh new year makes it easier to kick bad habits and, of course, watch more movies. But before we move on to the new year, where we have tons of really great episodes lined up, we thought it would be fun to spend the next hour or so looking back on 2021. Uh, wait, that's not right. Looking back on 2022. Whatever. The, whatever the year was. Well, it's a number. It's irrelevant unless you're a mathematician or whatever the fuck. Uh, anyway, we thought it'd be fun to talk about our top 10 favorite new-to-us watches from last year. And, and full disclosure, the idea to do this top 10 episode was 100% ripped off the much better Unsung Horrors podcast. Every year, they uh, they get uh, the guy from Cult Movies podcast and the lady from Schlock and All, and they all kind of have this like meeting of the minds top ten countdown, and it's it's a great episode, and we are shamelessly ripping off their formula. In fact, we came up with the idea first. Uh, it is our idea. We it was ours the whole time. I mean, I've seen a lot of people do this sort of thing. I, I listen to theirs every year, though. It's like the one I like. I like look forward to that episode, and like now, I'm like oh hell yeah, let's. Oh do yeah, because they like all the same kind of movies we yeah, like. Yeah, it's yeah, much yeah. more interesting than hearing like your top ten favorite mainstream new releases. Yeah. Oh my gosh, how many fucking of no, those no, thank can you, you look at? And another reason why we wanted to do uh, a fun countdowny listicle episode is because. Just recently, I guess last year, if you'll allow, Sight and Sound magazine released their uh, their top 100 greatest films of all time list. And I mean, as someone who just you know cosplays as a movie head, I kind of didn't understand why everyone seems so outraged and keyed up about that shit. Uh, so, Sam, can I ask you what was it about this Sight and Sound list that uh, gave you pause? <sighs> I don't even know where to start. Okay. So for those of you not familiar, Sight and Sound is associated with the BFI, the British Film Institute. They're sort of like the British version of film comment. And something that they've been doing for a while now is every decade, they pull a bunch of critics and release this top 100 greatest films of all time. And the last time, or maybe it's every five years, but it's definitely not every single okay, year. So it's like the Olympics. It's important yeah. when it happens. You know, it's the World Cup of <laughs> countdown lists. Yeah, a know. film countdown list. Yes. So the last list they released, the number one film was Vertigo. Piece of shit movie. Yeah. So we did an episode <laughs> where we talked about Vertigo and I'm not a big fan of it, even though I love Hitchcock. When did we talk about Vertigo? We talked about oh, Vertigo on the, Diabolique episode. Yes, on the Diabolique episode. So when that last list came out and Vertigo was number one, there was a percentage of film critics who freaked out because Vertigo is pretty misogynistic. Like, I don't think that's a reason to keep it off of a greatest films of all time list, but I see what their point was. Like, of all the films you could have chosen for number one, why did it have to be this sort of like gross movie about this pathetic cop who's just Yikes. obsessed this, uh, with this woman? This makes me a little nervous about my number one pick on my countdown <laughs> going up. Anyway. Well, but, but but so, is- okay, but wait. So when this list came out this year, 
I think I see it as a response to the outrage around the last list because there are so many more films on this list that have come out recently that are directed by women. And while that's great, the list is psychotic. Like I would say, but I feel like the point of these lists, I mean, for someone who is not making the list for someone who's just listening to it or reading it or, or whatever, the point is, is to read it and get mad. Like, that is baked into the pie. Like, if you're looking at a list and you're just nodding your head, I fuck know. that. That sucks, it just, it's, you know? But I if mean, you're going to really only make a top 100 list every five years, make it count. Don't make it, like, a gesture that's supposed to appease certain groups yes, of people. But, like, I mean, there's not even a Lubitsch film on this list. But we're living in a, a, a gestatory moment. Is that a word? I it mean, is now. Yes, it is now. We're living in a gestatory moment moment and uh that is to me representative of the times it is but those sons of bitches still have vertigo as number two (laughs) (laughs) so and this is my real problem with the list is like i love chantal ackerman i think jean dielman is a great film but it is in no way the number one greatest film of all time it feels like they're just like throwing a woman director a bone but like hang on a second here's the thing is that there is no number one film no, of all time. No, there's not. There isn't. There isn't. It's it's an irrelevant made-up concept. The idea of there being uh, an official ranking of, frankly, fucking anything is is insanity. I mean, that is... It's it's truly just there for fun, you yes, know? Yes, but you know how I... <laughs> <laughs> I know. Honestly, it... I don't think we've ever talked about this on the show. Well, we haven't really, and I know uh, this is funny because I love lists. I think they're so much fun. Me too. But I, when I'm when I say lists, I'm sorry. What I mean is I love a good ranking. You know, hey. ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You know, I love eight, six, that shit. Seven, five, three, zero, oh, nine. Whatever <laughs> numbers, like I said, I don't know anything about them. I'm not a mathematician, but the countdown list is it's. It's great. It's and fascist. You know what? It's fascist. Okay. okay. So you, you've I, been on this with me before, but like, I'm curious because when we first did our, our animal attacks episode, you were so against the idea of the list being I was so upset against. about it. And I was like, listen, let's just pretend like it's ranked. No, but really, it's not, you know, because it doesn't matter. But so you've told me many times before that that this ranking system is fascist. What do you mean by that? Can you expound upon that? I just think that hierarchies are antithetical to a communal society any structure where it's like one thing has to be put at the top is fucking stupid but but the thing is though is that this just feels so innocuous to me that it's, it's like not but like hang on let's say we're, we're ranking flubber shrek 2 and the aristocats cartoon you know it's still no <laughs> okay well i, I do like want- you can have so what i what i don't and i'm sorry but i this is something that like i don't talk about publicly very often because i have a little trouble explaining exactly what i mean if you have a like i like we just said we both love making lists a lot of the time when we sit around and put on like an episode of tv or some bullshit movie we're not paying attention to we're both like making letterbox lists yeah. of of films we want to have in a marathon or something. And I have constant lists. It's it's the ranking that bugs me. When you feel this sort of pressure to say that something is the best. 
And that's what I mean by hierarchies being bad. Or even like that one thing is better than another or that like what constitutes as being good or or like what are these things? And like when you start boiling art down to that, it... I do see your point. I, I do see like, like the fascist kernel of wanting one thing to be better than the other, like the idea of, you know, master races and lesser well, races. It's, and it's like, and, and, and like even, yeah, I, I can totally see how that does have a correlation. It, it's like Adorno's argument that this project of the enlightenment to categorize and name everything and measure everything leads directly to the Holocaust. And <laughs> RIP. Yeah. <laughs> but also if you are someone who hates uh, receiving Christmas presents, you should read what Adorno's spicy take on presents is. Okay. But I love listing favorites and that's what we're doing. Today. Okay. So that is there's no the, ranking. There's an, ad, Okay. I'm going to go ahead and say, just so everyone is clear, that we ranked these movies. I didn't. The movies... Okay, what we're doing today is our top 10 favorite films of... That we watched in 2022. Okay, thank you. 2022. I was drawing <laughs> a blank again. we watched in some year. <laughs> yes. Whatever last year fucking was, whatever that shit was, these are the our, our favorite films of the year, and and we ranked them. No, I didn't. through one. So yours is a random order. Mine is the order that I want to discuss them in because wow. I. Wow. Okay. Well. But it's but it's not like it's not like the number one movie is my single favorite movie of the year. Good for you. <laughs> all right. All right. I can't do it. I also hate awards shows. Okay. Well, this is the Twitch of the Death Nerve 2022 Awards Gala, and you're all invited. Uh. Okay. I guess without further ado. Yeah. Why don't I go first since. I just have 10 films and yours is in an order. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, what's, what's number 10 on your list? Oh, and also, I think... Oh, yeah. Our caveat. Uh, our, our caveat that we have is that these are films that we did not cover on the show... In any serious in way. In any serious way. So if there was like... I think there might be some movies on your list that we did in our Texas Psychorama episode, but we were just kind of shooting the shit, which we're doing again, frankly. But I mean... The caveat is, is that like for me, my number one favorite film of last year that I never saw was Cruising, which I had never seen before. But we did a whole episode on it, and yeah. also like uh, Dangerous Encounters of the Third. Yeah, that the Dangerous first kind. Encounters was going to be my number one. But... So, but these are movies that we covered on the show, so we got a little caveat here. We're trying to throw some fresh stuff at anyone because I feel like the only people who would want to listen to this fucking show or listen to this particular episode of this fucking show are people who have probably listened to other episodes and are like, yeah, we don't need to hear about, yeah, you know, bomb-making, rat-killing teens in Hong Kong for the umpteenth time. I mean, so. it's the gift that keeps on giving. It certainly is. Sam, number 10 on your so I'm random glad, list. So number 10, I'm glad you brought up that Texas Psychorama episode because my number 10 movie we talk about in that episode, which is Roaring Fire, the 1982 film from Norofumi Suzuki. And... I just, okay, so I was a little bit torn. I had to have either Roaring Fire or Royal Warriors on my list, and I had to go with Roaring Fire. So it's a Japanese film. For some reason, like 70% of my list is Japanese, but this was the movie that officially introduced us to Hiroyuki Sonata. Well, I 
I was familiar with the man. I had seen him, but I I didn't like know what his name He's was. He's been or... like a long time kind of character actor in America when they need some Japanese gravitas to whatever project they have, be it an episode of Lost. I think he's in the last season of Lost. and Good for him. I hope he got paid. I mean, for a while, I kind of thought of him as the budget version of... Uh, who's the fucking guy? Ken... Ken Watanabe, yes. yes. He was the budget version of Ken Watanabe. But now... That's rude. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm not... I'm, yeah, that was He's rude. like the action version and Ken is like the drama. I would say, though, that that assessment that I have is no longer the case. Hiroyuki Sonata has become uh, almost a mainstay in American cinema and TV as the Japanese guy, you well, know? Especially in movies that include some sort of action or chambara tropes like yeah. we just saw him in bullet train yeah and he was like the guy who was like bringing gravitas to the japanese side With, without you know? barely any saying any like dialogue he yeah. just he has such big screen presence he really really does he's he's awesome and in roaring fire he's oh a fucking God. baby he's so cool and hot and young Super and he like hot. looks like a pop star and Oh my gosh. I I honestly I want to track down some more movies with him in it. Oh yeah, this is our year. This is yeah. the year of of Sonata. I want to dive deep into his, you know, earlier oh, yeah. I output. I would love at some point for us to do an episode on some of those and Roaring Fire is in this category, but some of those late 70s, early 80s films that Sonny Chiba made with this like stable of young performers who he was helping to train like uh, Atsuko Shahomi, who plays Sister Street Fighter. Yep. She's also in Roaring Fire yeah, and has rules. some incredible scenes. I want to watch the uh, Sister Street Fighter sequels this year. Oh, yeah. Yo, 2023, it's going to be a great year. More Japanese movies on my <laughs> list for January of 2024, but... Number nine. Number nine. Uh, wait, we didn't really say anything about it. Just... Other than people knowing it's an action movie, it, I think, falls under that umbrella of so many movies we talk about on the show where there are just like a thousand tonal shifts. Like one minute it's a sex comedy. The next minute people are fighting ninjas. The next minute there's a fucking Nazi. Yeah. The thing is, though, is that I, I would disagree that there are a lot of tonal shifts in the movie but there are just so many different plot elements yeah. that are so psycho that's better but it, it maintains this tone of this like zany zany loose like good time action but sometimes dangerous yeah yeah for sure but i mean you're always kind of having a good time riding with you know this wacky crew this he's like a American cowboy. He's a nin- cowboy from Texas Samurai who, who guy. finds out he has a secret rich family in Japan. And honestly, <laughs> it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. Totally wonderful. My next film is one of my personal favorites, uh, just in general, that I've seen in the last couple years. It's called He Lives by Night by Pochi oh. Lung from 1982. I forgot about this one. It feels very much like a Hong Kong Category 3 film, and it's a precursor. I don't know if it received the rating retroactively. I I'm think not it, sure either. I think it might be uh, 2B, but basically it fits into one of my favorite 
sub subgenres, which are movies that take place in radio stations or that involve audio recordings in the plot in some crazy way. That's I don't know funny. why I love it, but I do. <laughs> so this movie follows this psychotic killer who is triggered by women wearing white fishnet stockings. Oh, yeah. I remember watching this movie and like loving it, but I don't have a core like memory of the plot. Possibly yeah. because we watched it during a marathon and there may have been some drug use. See you later, uh. short-term memory. <laughs> <laughs> but so he he goes around Hong Kong killing women and the protagonist is played by Sylvia Chang as this really popular and super awesome radio DJ. And she gets involved with Kent Chang, who's this police inspector oh, yeah. who has oh, the hots I remember for this. her. And they, they have this little like romantic relationship throughout the movie. Yeah. And and but the thing is though is that And it has a happy ending. It does. And Kent Chang is if you don't if you're not familiar with the actor, he's kind of a big guy. You yeah, know, he's, he's always he's always nicknamed Fatty in, yes, all, in the all the Hong Kong, Kong movies. There's a fat but guy. He's, he's the romantic fatty. lead yeah. of this movie. And it's amazing. It's really nice how they 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 take it seriously and they like it, it it's very it's nice yeah, <laughs> to it's, see. You it's know? like partly a romantic comedy about the radio DJ and this cop who's wooing her with humor, which is also so refreshing. But it's also a serial killer thriller with a young and super hot Simon Yam as a police detective who also wants her attention, but she's like, she has no time for Simon. She, yeah, she likes it's, a funny guy. Honestly, it's awesome seeing Simon Yam, like, you know, get his dick passed on yep. in favor of Kent Chang. It's just like, oh, hell yeah. This and, is what we want here. And you also have a very young Eric Sang as a punk rocker in a, oh, in a convenience store. Yeah, that movie fucking ruled. It's, uh, it's he lives so by good. night. Oh my gosh. I honestly, I'm going to throw that on my rewatch list for this year yeah, at some point. I, I really enjoyed that one. Number eight. So this past year, the director whose films I watched the most of were uh, Nagisa Oshima, who is one of the leading lights of the Japanese new wave. And so I had to put at least one of his movies on this list. And one of his new to me films that I watched was this movie called Violence at Noon from 1966. And at the time that I watched it, I didn't really clock it as one of my favorites, but I can't stop thinking about it. Mm, yeah. So basically it's about this really kind of like run down part of Japan struggling financially in, in po the post-World War II years. And this guy played by Kei Sato, who is an incredible new wave and beyond actor, he ties up this maid and rapes and murders her mistress. And you come to find out that not only does the maid actually know this man, but he also raped her in the past. And so it becomes this like really... What did you like about it? Or why is this movie on your list? Or what stayed in your head about it? Just the way that it deals with why people commit violence and how can we respond to that? Like, is justice the right response? Is violence the right response? What happens when you're compassionate? And so like so many of my favorite Fritz Long films, it deals with this idea that any person is capable of violence 
And often people are driven to it because of social factors like poverty and like being a soldier in the war and coming home and just having nothing and no way to deal with the trauma you experienced. So it's really grim. There's a lot of sexual violence. None of it is eroticized, but the plot is just like, it's very sort of onion-like. Sorry, can you say the title again? Violence at Noon. Okay, and I, I have one more question. You said it was part of the Japanese New Wave. Is that because the director was from the Japanese New Wave or it was a new wavy movie? Both. Okay. The Just the editing and sort of the way the narrative unfolds, the way it deals with typical traditional Japanese cinema elements. Like you have these two characters who one of the side plots that like you learn about as it unfolds is that they were planning to go off in the woods and commit suicide like so many lovers in traditional Japanese tragedies, but it's a twist on that. Okay. And I have one more question that's a little bit uh, kind of irrelevant, but it's going to sound kind of stupid too. Uh, What does it mean when people say new wave? Does that just mean that there was once a... A wave? <laughs> now well, it's broken. Because you know, no one listens to wave. You know what I mean? Like, there. what's this new wave? Like, what exactly does new wave mean? Does that mean there was a traditional way of making movies and now there's a new way to do it? Yes. It's also a response to... Okay, so broadly speaking, any new wave cinema is a period of cinema where a younger generation of directors is sort of changing the game and breaking the rules established by traditional mainstream cinema. The reason that the Japanese new wave is called that is in response to the French new wave, which is the first cinema new wave. Okay. And so it's a nod to that influence. What I'm curious, but what I don't really get is that I feel like that that tendency of there being a younger you know, upstart generation entering into an art and putting their stamp on it. That's not new. That is what happens all the time. Like not, not correct. But no, Orson Welles was some little piece of shit in the fucking, I don't know, thirties or forties. And he comes out swinging his dick and knocking all the pieces off the table. Yeah. But he wasn't part of a wave. He was one person who terrorized RKO studio. <laughs> bankrupts them and then Hollywood was like we've had enough you need to go to Europe ah the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence there is a California very different sort of film Taiwanese it's Millennium Mambo from Hu Xiao Shen from 2001 that was Taiwanese movie yes it's it's set in Taipei okay okay wow yeah that was a great one it's and but very different from the kind of movies that we usually watch. I, I think we watched it because Bobby, our yeah. friend Bobby, showed it to us during a Hong Kong marathon we did one day. So it might have Hong Kong funding, but it is shot in Taipei. They go to Hokkaido in northern Japan for part of the film for this yeah. great snowy sequence. But it's one of those movies that basically has no plot. It's about this beautiful young woman uh played by shu chi who's in a number of hong kong category three movies um she's great but she's in this really shitty abusive relationship with her cool boyfriend who's a dj and the whole movie is 
about her just kind of hanging out and trying to maybe break up with him and move on. And it just, it's so beautiful and so affecting. And I don't really know why. Yeah. So one, my first response to that is I love how when there's an actor who is like in this like real serious art film, but in order for us to give them any credence, we're like, oh, but they're in a lot of category I'm like, three. Oh, movies. she's in Viva Erotica. She, don't worry, she's in some <laughs> fucking dirt ball shit. Yeah, she's she's cool. She's cool. But also, too, I think the reason why this movie is kind of surprising to me that it's on your list is because I mean, I think it's a great movie, but it has a lot in common with the. Um, I would say like the '90s indie scene. It does, and I hate those. I know you hate those fucking. Hate movies. them. I think it's because so some of it has to do with the textures of the film and the visual world and the soundscapes, and a lot of the time those '90s indie films don't have beautiful soundscapes. The editing is fucking terrible, yeah. and the editing in Millennium Mambo is gorgeous. So this movie right now, I believe, is either right now or very soon is getting a restoration. Getting a restoration and is playing at the Metrograph in New York, which I have a one hundred dollar gift card. It's like a piece of paper that some dirtball like scribbled a hundred dollars onto. That's been sitting in my wallet for like five years. I helped someone move who like knew the guys that ran that place. And he's like, I don't have any money, but here's this. And I was like, all right, sick, dude. So yeah, let's go to fucking New York and see Millennium Mambo. I would love that. Yeah, I think actually now that we're talking about it, I'm pretty sure that we watched Millennium Mambo and he lives by night on the same day. We did. We did. Uh, Bobby's Hong Kong marathon that she programmed for us was awesome. Yeah, they were the kind of movies that like the best taste that we also wouldn't grab or gravitate towards. You know, there was stuff that obviously we like because they're on our on your top 10 list. Yeah, of the two year. of them. I think that's why a lot of the movies that are our favorites of the year and what makes a movie a favorite is when you don't expect it. And it surprises you. Yeah. And, and it does something to you that you don't expect. Like even that weird fucking rape movie, Dirty... What was it called? Noon? Violence at Noon. Violence at yeah, Noon. Yeah. I just like couldn't stop thinking about yeah. it. I still... I think a, a movie that moves you and stays with you is what makes it great. Yeah. And in it's, my, in it's my like mind. with both Violence at Noon and Millennium Mambo... It's not even that I'm thinking about plot elements. It's more that like certain shots will pop into my head and just like the mood. And I think that's also why when we're covering a movie on the show, I think the least interesting part of the episode is when we're saying what happens in the movie. I mean, which is funny because it's a movie podcast. Obviously, you have to say what fucking happens in it. Well, writing about movies is the same way. If you have too much plot in there, it's boring. It's boring. Like, like it doesn't matter, you know? Like, there's a certain scene and, like, the context around it. Like, you need to watch the fucking movie if you want the context. Like, but why it moves you, I think, is is important. It's compelling. Well, and I think that idea of, I think, what people call slow cinema especially like the Hu Xiao Shen movies and definitely Millennium Mambo. I think they make a strong case for how a film can be great without having some packed, well-written script. Yeah. You're just vibing. Just vibing. All right. And we're going to continue to vibe with number five. Number five is a movie that you showed me. It's Ooh. one of your favorites. And Ooh. it. I am so glad I finally got to see it. 
and that would be Seijun Suzuki's 1964 film Gate of Flesh. Oh, I'm so glad you liked it. I loved it. Yeah, I love that movie. It's, I mean, Seijun Suzuki is an incredible filmmaker. He is also like oh a total yeah his nutball th- this year is his centennial so we will have to do a proper suzuki episode oh i would love to and i would love to i should say because this popped up in our discord if you hear about a suzuki retrospective happening near you which i think that's going on in a couple places in january and february make sure you go if you can yeah i just saw a lineup i forget what theater was doing it maybe the quad or Metrograph was one of them, one of those New York art housey theaters. And half the movies on the list I had never seen. Like, which is the best. The biggest one they're playing is Tokyo Drifter, which is, you know, great. But I would love to go and just like kind of roll the dice and just see one I've never, never seen it before. Well, this year we're going to have to watch since I'm, I think I'm going to start doing with Suzuki what we're also doing with Kurosawa, which is to watch one new to us film every year. There's that trilogy that he made after he got booted from the studio. And so that's what I want to watch this year. Isn't that like 900 hours long? It is. It's a long year. It's it's only the beginning of January. Listen, here's the thing about my (laughs) list of movies. Everything is 90 minutes or less, except for Avatar 2 The Way of Water, which needs the full runtime. But yeah, I would say that Seishin Suzuki is someone who, I mean, at least for me, he's not an easy person to love. But what? But I return to his movies so often, you know. Oh, his, I mean, Gate of Flesh are... is is far and away my my favorite film of his. Oh yeah, if if so, if you've only seen his Branded to Kill, yeah, his Tokyo Drifter, like his his poppier, really unforgettable crime films, Gate of Flesh is much different. It's about again a 60s movie about poverty in post-war Japan where you have these sex workers who have sort of banded together and they kind of live together and protect each other. Yeah, and these like hovels of like, you know, a bombed out city. But their only rule is you can't have sex for free. Like you can't get attached to these guys. And then Joe Shishido shows up flashing his giant cheekbones. They're not cheekbones. I know. Why do we get this? They're not cheekbones. They're 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 giant implants. implants. I get it. But everybody just wants to take a bite out of them. Joe Shishido. He causes some chaos. He certainly does. (laughs) It's such a great movie. And it like, I, I, I watch it almost every year at some point. It just, it it comes up where I want to show it to someone who hasn't seen it. And it's the perfect kind of movie for that. It's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's so incredible. Good. Yeah. And the next movie on my list is totally different. Number four in our ranked official top 10 countdown. <laughs> number four, I think, is... This isn't number four. Number five. What? Did we get lost? One, two, three, four, five, six. This is number six. We're counting down. Oh. We're counting backwards. <laughs> this is number four. Okay. It's a ranked list to number one. Okay. Well, this movie is special because it's the only film on this list not made in Asia. <laughs> and this is a movie. So... Did you finally watch Close Encounters of the Third Kind? No. So last year we had this really fun marathon where we asked everyone to bring a fantasy film. And some people sort of misunderstood the assignment, but our friend Josh, who was on our Harathon episode, 
brought this movie and I was so fucking pissed off about it at first. And I don't know why I got it in my head that this movie was going to be bad, but the film is called Hearts and Armor from director Giacomo Battiato, 1983. It is a sword and sorcery epic from Italy. Once there was a world where legends were forged in a flash of steel. Kingdoms were threatened by a single kiss. Destinies were shaped by a wizard's hand. And armies of iron waged a war for the control of an empire. All the reviews you see of it online are like, this is really bad, it's really boring, it doesn't make any sense. And so I was just like, yeah. Jesus Christ, Josh, why are you doing this to us? But I loved it yeah. so much. It's, it's a recutting of, I think, a, uh, miniseries. a miniseries. Yeah, that was, you know, nine episodes or so. Yeah, supposedly the original is like five hours long but no print seems to exist. Yeah, so this was this was funny because Josh had me download it. This happens to me all the time when I'm downloading some like weird, obscure movie where I find there's a version of it that's in full screen that looks gorgeous and has like subtitles and all the stuff you need, but it's in full screen. And then you get this widescreen version that like looks like shit. And it's like only in Italian and there's no subs. And it's just like, what do you do? What do you do here? And I, I opted for the full screen version and was just like kind of kicking myself about it. But after like 10 minutes of watching this movie, you're just like in the story, in it, you know, it, it felt like the never ending story for grownups or something. It was this like really fun. It, it didn't really feel Italian to me. Like it, it felt like a weird. Yeah. The, I don't the know. The thing it was, that it reminds me the most closely of is maybe John Borman's Excalibur in the sense that it it's just really visually beautiful it has this kind of sweeping epic plot with all these characters and there's also some kind of weird low budget italian cult movie stuff happening yeah. like there's a female knight and there is some magic yeah and tanya roberts is in it but what from, i love about this movie that's called it's called hearts and armor it earns that fucking title. The it amount does. of armor in this movie, like it's armor exploitation. They're it showing is. you fucking breastplates, helmets. The helmets are helms. amazing. Like, the costume design is so good. And there's like, what are those like chain link fence things they wear? On chain mail? Chain mail, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> you know what I meant. <laughs> it's like, but honestly, this is a movie where that like, I could just stare at it all day and it's it's got this like kind of dreamy quality that I think so dreamy. I think part of that dreamy quality is from the disjointed cuts. Yes, yeah. the disjointed editing of a show into a movie. But to me, it worked. Like I thought it was enjoyable. And I but I I have a soft spot for this kind of. Oh, uh, I love sword and sorcery fantasy. I so I do too, but I've barely seen any of it. I am like a new egg with that shit. But That's every exciting. time, because I didn't like it when I was a kid. And now that I have like a real taste for it, I never liked fantasy growing up. But now That's I am. Shocking. I was a sci fi kid. And it was like, to me, it was like, you got to pick like one or the hard other. Sci fi. Yeah. And you couldn't cross the line, you know. But now that I'm, you know, a grown up sort of, I realize, oh, you can like both. You can have you both. You can really have both. <laughs> And yeah, I'm, I can't wait to watch more sword and sorcery and like uh, sword and sandal movies. 
oh, this yeah. year. It, it's, it's fucking coming. I want to see that Deathstalker series. Oh, my God. It's so good. I can't the wait. The first two, Chef's Kiss. Warner Brothers presents Hearts and Armor. A tale of fantasy and enchantment. Romance and danger. All right, now we're getting into the real territory here. The top three. Okay. I have four. You have four? Where are we at? I thought that was number four. That was number five? All right, listen, folks. Yeah, no, I have ten films on my list, but because I didn't number them... Where men cross swords with magic. Good overpowers evil. And a princess becomes the greatest warrior of all. Hearts and armor. So, Roaring Fire, He Lives by Night, Violence at Noon, Millennium Mambo, Gate of Flesh, Hearts and Armor. That leaves me with four more. Number three, number two, number one. I know how to count. You're the one who doesn't know what year it is. All right, all right. Like I said, I'm not (laughs) a fucking mathematician. So, the sword fighting theme continues for the next film on my list, which I cried during. I may have cried a little bit during Hearts and Armor, but... The Tale of Zatoichi Continues, directed by Katsuo Mori from 1962. Ooh, you got a Zatoichi flick on your list. Oh, my God. That's number Do two, right? Do you not right? remember my crying? Yes, it's the second one. I cry series. in almost every Zatoichi that, movie. That, actually, that's true. The thing with the Zatoichi movies is that they're all melodrama. It's melodrama. Which I love. I see a lot of reviews from people on like Letterboxd and stuff who complain about that. And they're like, yeah, I didn't really like the melodrama. Sword fighting was okay. This is a, a two out of five one. But for me... The melodrama works in almost all of them because yeah. I love that. I, I just like I, I love the formula so much. And the second one. That's oh, my the, God. Uh, yeah. OK, so uh. we don't we don't really have to go into the plot much because every Zatoichi movie has the same plot. But also the second one has some moments that are so, so intense and oh my sad God, yeah. and just and like you cry multiple times. But I did too. The magical thing about this one is that it co-stars uh, Tomi Saburo Wakiyama from the Lone Wolf and Cub series. Oh yeah, Wakiyama. Who is his real life brother acts as his brother in the movie. And so it's this family melodrama about these warring brothers and this love triangle, but they come together and Zatoichi has to rescue uh, him. Oh my and, gosh. Oh my but, God. The, but it's like so much more than that. Oh, it's, I, I think, so I love the first Zatoichi movie. I think it's great. I still like, have never seen the first one. This is so I'm funny. saving it. Yeah, this is so good. So I have never seen the last one. Uh, not the one in the 80s, but the last yeah, one yeah, in yeah. the original run. And Sam is watching them now. We're kind of like watching like one a month ish, two a m- like we'll, we'll yeah. do like two, and then we'll skip a month or however. Yeah, I think we're about half, almost to the halfway point. Well, yeah, because I think the last one we watched was the when Zadoichi took over. We watched two since Zadoichi. <laughs> <laughs> so we've we've watched two since Shintaro Katsu bought the rights to the character and started producing the movies himself, and they become gorier and wilder. It's about halfway through when the whole tone of the series shifts because he saw his brother 
make the lone wolf and cub movies and he's like yo oh shit this is what i want to do i want fucking <laughs> blood i want ninja titties ninja titties exactly and so the movies take a a, a shift there and I, I i love them all they're all great it's wild that they can all be so consistently good and yeah. there are like what 26 of them yeah i mean like there are some duds in there but that's like all about your preference i would say but but the tale of zadoichi continues oh my god yeah as it's soon great. as it was over, I was like, when are it's, we watching this one again? It's the one that, like, that one and the third one are the one that cement every single important trope about the Zatoichi character, and they're just, like, monumental movies. Love them. Mm. All right, what's next on the list? More sword fighting. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm totally serious. <laughs> <laughs> the next movie on my list, number three, Bohachi Bushido, Code of the Forgotten Eight by Taro Ishii from 1973. This movie is a cross between Aerogoro, kind of pinky violence a little bit, and Chambara films. So if you don't know what any of those things mean, Chambara, obviously samurai movies, Aerogoro, Taro Ishii became known for. They're basically gothic horror torture sex movies yeah i always thought of them as samurai bondage flicks that was what i that's what i put them in my head as yeah like shogun's joy of torture and and things like that but this one comes after ishii made most of those and it's about um this lone this ronin samurai this lone warrior played by tetsuro tamba who is incredible he's in fucking everything he's in a james bond movie and he basically comes across this clan of amoral ninja samurai psychos called the bohachi and they're like why don't you join us our only mission is depravity. Oh, yeah. Okay. I remember this flick. Yeah, that was awesome. It's so good. I also... It's rem- so nihilistic. Yeah, we watched it when we were doing research for our Zero Woman episode. Yep. And we were watching tons of Pinky Violence and movies. And we threw in this random one. Yes, th- this one that was... I think John's the one that suggested it. That it was not a Pinky Violence, but was kind of like circling around the genre. Yeah, there. so it has... It definitely has some female war warriors in it who are kind of in a gang but it's a period piece so it's not like a you know pinky violence 1970s style gang yeah so it it can't really be called pinky violence but i've seen it thrown on some lists because of that element yeah but it's just batshit crazy it really is i i remember actually being a little grossed out by that one yeah that was one that kind of like uh i like didn't love it because it grossed me out in a way that i don't like being gross because i like being grossed out but sometimes i'm not like, like i do not like <laughs> you do you're a fucking absolute dirtball pervert that and that's why this movie is so good it's yeah. sort of like if if the marquis de Sade was like all right i'm gonna write a story about a samurai clan here we go yeah and terrorishi is definitely one who i want to get a little more familiar with in in this next year oh yeah he's great um movie number two no sword fighting that I can remember, but still Japanese. This is uh, Nobuhiko Obayashi's The Visitor in the Eye from 1977. And 
So earlier this year, I did a commentary for this Obayashi film called The Island Closest to Heaven because Third Eye put out this amazing, highly recommended box set of Obayashi's 80s films. Most of you will know him from Haosu, which he also made in 77, the, you know, great, totally gonzo haunted house movie about a bunch of teenage girls who encounter this, like, evil cat, ghost cat. Visitor in the Eye is really just unforgettable, but kind of hard to describe. This tennis student gets an eye injury on accident and they're like, okay, you're going to lose your eye. And her tennis coach who has a crush on her, she, I think they're supposed to be in high school, but they all look like 25 year olds. He's like, listen, I know about this doctor named Dr. Blackjack. And so this is an adaptation of this anime called Blackjack that I don't know anything about, but this Dr. Blackjack is just insane. Joe Shishido plays him in this movie. Oh, hell yeah. Reappearing on my list, uh, Sonny Chiba has a cameo as a drunk guy. But basically, Dr. Blackjack gives her an eye transplant. And like some of those horror movies to come later on where you get an eye transplant and now you can see ghosts, she sees this really creepy guy that no one else can see and then the plot just goes insane. And so it's like, it kind of feels like a live action anime at times, definitely some fantasy elements, but it's just like relentless. It's almost a little bit, it has, sort of has the same tone as He Lives by Night. Like it's not quite a horror movie, but it does have this like psycho chasing after this lady who may or may not be real. Sounds great. It sounds like I would love it. It's awesome. Yes. And I, I love I love Haosu and I love I forget what it's called, but I saw another film by that director where it's like uh, this girl shows up to a high school and she's got magic powers. Oh, and dissolving classroom or something like that. I don't know. It's not no, you're thinking of drifting classroom and drifting it's drifting classroom. It's not that. It's not that one, I don't think. I uh, I know exactly what you're talking about, but the name is not coming to me. Yeah, it's like a and like this and the, her villain is this other like rival girl at the school who also has magic powers, and it's just like psycho, like crazy stuff happens. This in it. this definitely has the same kind of energy as that movie. Like some of his late later '80s films that are in the box set I mentioned are more. Who's putting that out? Is that out already? Third Eye, yeah. Um, they do mostly it's out the box set is out yeah wow that's awesome Um, it's like he does some of these kind of fantastical melodrama movies oh School in the Crosshairs that's the one I was thinking of yeah School in the Crosshairs he made that right after Visitor in the Eye and so I think they probably would be a good double feature but Visitor in the Eye is just so wonderfully crazy. It's clear that it's from the same director as Haosu, but it doesn't feel like a repeat in in any way. It's Hell wonderful. Yeah. Which brings me to my number one film. The greatest movie that you watched all year, because this is a ranked official list, and there's no getting out of it. It involves Simon Yam. Ooh. Again. So I, I almost started my list with He Lives by Night so I could you know, bookend it with Simon Yam, but 
the movie is Clarence Fox, 1992 classic, Naked Killer, which we finally watched. I forgot that was your first time watching Naked Killer. It was. Yeah, I had wanted to save it for a marathon or kind of hoped it would screen somewhere and then it just never did. So we watched it and it was everything I wanted it to be. So last year, not 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 uh 2022 but 2021 we watched rape by an angel for the first time which i am obsessed with and naked killer is like a loose sort of prequel to it or rather they made naked killer it did so well that they were like let's do this spin-off yeah, series so no what happened was is they i think they got the whole cast back yes basically and they just made a different movie and it released in a lot of markets as Naked Killer 2. And there also may be a Naked Killer 2 that exists as well. I'm very confused about this like timeline crossover stuff. And I had someone explain it to me once, but like it honestly, even when they were explaining it to me in like very, very You need a, you need a flow chart. You need a flow chart. Yes, uh, you do. We are going to do a raped by an angel episode. No, we're not. Yes, what we are. are. About? We, we, how could, why would we do an episode of raped by an angel when we talk about in every single episode we do? You know what I mean? If we're, rape, we're if raped do by one. an angel comes up when we're covering Hitchcock, we don't need to do an episode on it. Like, obviously we're doing an episode on the whole series and there's nothing you could do. I'll do it by myself. If I have to <laughs> <laughs> solo episode of Twitch by the death. Nerve. But naked killer is one that I actually, when I first saw it, I didn't like it. And the reason why I didn't like it is because it's so crazy it's it's literally a comic book come to life, but a comic book that was written by like sugar high kids who have just seen their first pair of tits and they're like going like buck wild. And I I had like no ground to stand. It just like it was just so crazy. And because it was billed to me as a category three movie and I watched it when I was kind of first getting into category three films and I got this like silly goofball movie. You know, and I was like, what is this? It's psychotic. And getting to watch it again with you earlier this year, it like clicked from the start the whole time. Like my brain was humming to the proper frequency that I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And it was just so, so good. And it uh, it's now also what in my favorite lists, whatever that may be. Yeah, it's... It's just like you have Simon Yam as this sort of disgraced cop who can't fire his gun without vomiting and he meets this lady assassin and in order to explain anything else it would just ruin the movie but it's like sort of a love story between the two of them. Yeah, a friend of ours recently rented it. Uh, who's our homie that lives in Portland? Evan. Yeah, Evan. Evan rented it at uh, Movie Madness. And I was like, oh, yo, strap you in, You are buddy. in for it. Get Fuck ready it. for the go. Wong Jing experience. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. So to recap your list, what was it? What did you have on there? Run it down. Roaring Fire, He Lives by Night, Violence at Noon, Millennium Mambo, Gate of Flesh, Hearts and Armor, The Tale of Zatoichi Continues, Bohachi Bushido, Visitor in the Eye, and Naked Killer. And... There were some things that I agonized over not including, but I think they might show up on your list. We shall see. All right, let's take a quick little break, and then we'll do the rest of our countdown. We'll switch over to my side of the uh, the countdown. I got a piss. So do I. All right. 
All right, pressing on to my top 10 list. And this one, unlike Sam's, I, I actually agonized over the ranking. Not really. Uh, I kind of just threw things around. I don't believe you. I think you agonized. I agonized ever so slightly. All right, number 10. This one is kind of the weirdest outlier on the list. And I think it almost reminds me of your Millennium Mambo. Like one that I, I would not expect myself to like. All right, number 10 is A Field in England, the 2013 film by Ben Wheatley. That's crazy. Yeah, so this was one that came out of the... um, The folk horror box set. The folk horror box set. We had a little folk horror marathon where we were just kind of DJing. We had a bunch of friends over, and we would put on a movie and then have someone pick out the next one from the box set, whichever one they wanted to watch. Yeah, that was a really fun day. I think this was also one that either Rob or... I think it was Rob that decided this one, or was it Josh? I think Rob chose this one. Uh, who was on our, our cryptid episode. Yes, Rob will be back. We love him. And I was kind of pissed that this was the movie that he was like, yeah, we're going to watch this one. Because it's from 2013. It's by some guy named Ben fucking Wheatley. I don't know who that guy is, but he sounds like a Harry Potter character. And I, I was like, I was bumped that we were watching some dumb new like movie. It's like me and Hearts and Armor. I was so mad. Yeah. I was like, Josh, how dare you? And <laughs> honestly, it was one of the ones where like, 10 minutes into it because everyone else in the room had seen it before except for me and 10 minutes into it i was like hey guys shut the fuck up i'm absorbed i am i am sucked into this movie and i fucking loved it it was this like weird black and i really white, like it like pseudo fever dream yeah. mushroom trip just a crazy crazy movie it makes an interesting companion piece to witchfinder general if you've never seen it which i have never seen Oh, I always forget that. Yeah, no, Witchfinder General is one that I like. Uh, every Halloween is, or every October is the year I'm going to watch Witchfinder General. And like every year, it doesn't happen. This year, it's going to happen. Yeah, I'm sure someone will screen it. But yeah, I feel in England. I had no idea that I was going to love this movie. And I, I loved it. It was so good. And it was one of those ones where as soon as it was done playing, I'm like, yo, I want to show this to my parents and like blow their minds, you know? <laughs> All right, all right. Number nine on my list is Queen of Black Magic. Oh, hell yeah. The 1981 film by Lilik Sojio from Indonesia. This is one that I've been wanting to see forever. I love black magic movies. Black magic. They're so good. They're fucking great. I mean, there's always like, you know, a chicken getting its head cut off. Usually by Lole. Laser beams (laughs) flying out of fingers. Crazy shit happening with breast milk. Yes. But what's so great about the Queen of Black Magic is that anchoring the whole film is this revenge plot that you are just like absorbed into. And this lady goes through the shit. And then when she agrees to like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to get turned into this black magic sorceress and fucking get my revenge it's just like hell yeah cut off that chicken head you know drink the blood of your enemies do what you got to do to get them laser beams flying and it was just it was an absolute ball i yeah it's so good i loved queen of black magic yeah if you can find a copy highly recommended apparently there's like a remake from the last decade so when we watched it and i usually when we do marathons i'll post title cards in my stories on instagram and 
with that one, I had a bunch of people write in and say, oh, is this the new movie? And I was like, what fucking new movie? Yeah, it's a new <laughs> one. Can you believe it? They're, they're remaking Queen of Black Magic, folks. It's it's wild. I, I think they should make a show. Like a, a ga- <laughs> yes! like a Game of Thrones style show about... Oh my God, just yeah. Some lady learning black magic and just fucking torching her and skinning her enemies. Mm, you love to see it. Number eight on our on my list. This was one that I actually had, I never knew it existed until Phil, who runs the Thai Poster Bliss account, posted a, a Thai poster for this film. And I immediately DM'd him and was like, yo, what is this movie? And he's like, what? You never heard about this? This was in January. This time last year, basically, the beginning of January. He says, you never heard about this movie? It's called Writing Wrongs. Oh. It is one of the greatest martial arts movies ever. And I was like, yo, hell yeah. And I immediately put the movie in my pocket and said, this year on my birthday, I'm going to have a little birthday marathon. Yeah, your birthday marathons are always so much fun. And... Writing Wrongs is going to be like our eight o'clock movie. And everyone's heads exploded. Everyone's heads exploded. And I had no idea that Writing Wrongs was going to be such a mean movie, too. Like, I thought it was going to be like, you know, fun time galore. And it's like, it's kind of a mean it's, flick. It's super mean. And and right after that movie ended is when we watched Dangerous, Dangerous Encounters. Yeah, Dangerous Encounters for the first time. <laughs> So it was like we were just getting walloped by a couple of flicks back to back. And then the movie after that was one that's on my runners up list. That Aladdin movie. Oh, God. I don't <laughs> want to talk about that fucking Aladdin movie. And he discovers that the only thing worth really having is the true friend he always wanted. Aladdin. A friendship worth wishing for. But yeah, I mean, writing wrongs was just like it was so good. And after it was done. I realized immediately that I just got done watching like one of my favorite movies. And then a couple months later, Vinegar Syndrome reaches out to you, Sam, like, yo, you want to do some of our writing wrongs release that we're doing? And so we did a video essay. That was so much fun. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that movie is pretty perfect. Yeah, it's so good. And like, it's so crazy that like, I never, I would not have seen it if I didn't just see a Thai poster for it and say like, yo, what is this? So follow Thai poster bliss if you're not already. All right. Number seven on my, on my list, uh, a bit different. This is one that I watched while we were doing, I guess, do we call it research when we were watching movies? <laughs> if it's yeah. for a podcast episode, sure. We were doing research for our episode on Caligula. Mm. <laughs> and uh this is one that I, I i've always wanted to see and i i went to a movie theater to see it uh years ago uh, at the nighthawk it was a midnight screening and i got got off work and went right to the movies and fell right the fuck asleep and missed the whole thing and as soon as it was over i was like that movie sucked you know and just like left and i finally got to watch the decameron from 1971, oh. the Pierre Paolo Pasolini film. Uh, Chef's just, Kiss. What a wonderful fucking movie. Just delightful and like erotic and so funny. I loved it so much. And I realized that I've only seen a couple Pasolini movies. Solo, obviously. And I think maybe Canterbury Tales or Arabian Nights. Which are, that's part of the trilogy of life. Those okay. three. I want to watch every fucking movie that guy's ever made. 
He, he is, as someone who has seen every movie he's ever made, I would be happy to watch them again over and over and over. Uh, he's Pasolini. one of the greatest directors. Yeah, I, I. So it's funny. I know more about him, the man, than I do about his films. Uh, I, I read, you know, a book about him, and I also I read one of his fiction books. You know, he wrote fiction, right? Oh yeah, the the Boys of Life. A Violent Life is what it was called. The, the translation that I had. Ah. Uh, yeah, he's great. And like now it's so funny that now I get to watch his movies that I haven't seen. That's so nice though. It is. It is. I really look forward to it. And the Decameron is definitely one of the best I'm movies. I'm so glad that that made it to your list. It did. It's, I loved it. It's just so beautiful. I mean, I think that's also an example of why I love Millennium Mambo. It's like the textures of the Decameron. Yes. Yeah. Also the performances. I mean, some of his... Uh, recurring actors who show up. That's why I can't wait to watch more of his movies because I loved everyone in it. And it's just like, who are these fucking, you know, guidos walking around with their dicks out? Like, I want to see these guys every day of my life. They're awesome. It's also one of those rare movies that has a lot of genuinely effective erotic scenes and there's no, like, shame to it. There's one bit. Oh, my. The one bit where... Um, the boyfriend like sneaks into the the girlfriend's room or she's sleeping on the roof and he sneaks up onto the roof and they have sex and it's just like oh they're doing this like you know naughty thing but it's so good and the next day they're discovered by her parents and they're like overjoyed that these two were <laughs> fucking and they're like oh my god great you can get married now you're part of the family and they like do all this like but it's just like Ah, such a great movie, a real celebration of life and death and sex and all the great things. Number six on my list, a little different. This is one, do I have any other movies from the United States? This is a, a, yeah, movie from the U.S. Wow, holy shit, I can't believe I did that. Uh, This is a horror film that I had discounted for years. I had a different idea of what it was going to be in my head. And I thought it came out in 1995, which is kind of a, a, a shitty year or like that era for horror, at least in my opinion. Oh yeah. No bueno. Not really my, my cup of tea. Yeah. It, it shocked me that I had films from the nineties and two thousands on my list. Look at us. Yeah. This is crazy. Expanding. So number six on my list is tales from the hood. Oh, hell yeah. The, the horror anthology film by Rusty Kondiev that I just, I had such a fucking good time with it. We watched it during our uh, Halloween marathon. We did our own 24-hour horror-thon right after... The week after. The week after the exhumed 24-hour marathon. I do not recommend yeah, doing... Ne- two, let's two, never uh, do that again. Doing two 24-hour movie marathons within seven days of each other, madness. I that That is a 20-year-old's game. I needed like a month to recover from that. Uh, I'm, still, li- I'm still in recovery. But, but our lineup was so good. It was so good. And Tales from the Hood is the one that it, it just knocked me off my feet. And I, I can't believe that I hadn't seen it sooner. All these movies that are on my list, sure, there's a lot of ones that it's like, oh, wow, you didn't know about that? You didn't see that before? But this is the one where I really wish that I had seen, I'd grown up with this because I would have loved it, you know? This would have been an all-time favorite. And I'm so glad that I finally got to see it now. Tales from the Hood, I'm sure most of our listeners have probably seen it. And if not... Or uh, if you haven't seen it in a while, revisit. Yeah, it's a a real, real October treat. The producer of Menace to Society and executive producer Spike Lee. 
will take you to the outer limits of the inner city. Welcome to hell! <laughs> Tales from the Hood. Chill. Or be chilled. I mean, I don't need to be hearing this, man. Written and produced by Darren Scott. Written and directed Number by five. Dun, dun, dun. We're going to get a little fucking weird here. Okay. Getting weird. This is a 1994 film. Not from any country. It's from fucking Mars. This was directed by an alien. You, got, you have any idea? I have no clue where you're going with this. This was directed by our boy, Alvaro Passeri. Oh. So Alvaro Passeri. The king who brought us Mummy Theme Park. Mummy Theme Park. Fantastic games. And number five on my list, which is Creatures from the Abyss, also known as Plankton. What a picture. Plankton? What's that? Plankton is the major source of nutrient for fish. It was contaminated by radioactive waste dumped by a ship in this area. It contaminated the bottom of this part of the sea. Contaminated the plankton? It is indeed made by martians it is it's crazy it's got all these insane special effects it feels like bath salt evil dead on a boat you know it's just crazy it's it's mind melting it's it's psychotronic to a t yes just a couple weeks ago i got to do my uh psychotronic film society screening where we were part of this film club in philadelphia where the members get to choose what movie they get to play you know every other week someone else curates another member of the club i've been in this club for like five years my number finally got fucking called and i spent seven months agonizing over what to play i did not play creatures from the abyss and i've been kicking myself in the ass for the last two weeks like why didn't you play it they would have loved it why didn't you play creatures from the abyss creatures from the abyss is a crowd pleasing rip roaring psycho flick it's so crazy it's nuts we watched it what twice last year yeah it's just it's <laughs> and honestly i will watch it again i, I mean if i yeah. have a crowd of people in front of oh, i fucked up i should have played creatures from the abyss what was i thinking it is so good if if you haven't seen it Watch it with as many Strap people in. as you can. Watch <laughs> it with as many people as you can. And this goes for every movie by this director, Alvaro Passeri, who is truly, I mean, we're because we're ripping off the unsung horrors, truly is an unsung horror. And I, I owe you, Eric and Lance, a real debt of gratitude for teaching me about the ways of Alvaro Passeri. What a, what a guy. Number four on my uh, top ten list is Blood on Satan's Claw. Wow. I was scared by this movie. It's scary. It did a thing that really, really fucked with me. About half, a little less than halfway through, where a scene happens that is so intense and graphic and ends in such a way and is just so... It pulls the rug out from under you that for the rest of the movie there's a sense of danger that like oh shit can break out like that again yikes like and and i was like tense i was like walking on eggshells watching this movie after that scene happened it's so scary it's in a certain scary parts. movie and it has just the most haunting score that i can just play in my head anytime i want and it's 
kind of awful to be able to recall that at random times. It's uh, such a good movie. Probably the scariest movie that I saw this year. It's also, if you're somebody who, like Charles, hasn't seen a lot of folk horror, to me it's like the epitome of yes. of folk horror cinema. Yeah, that, that's, that's the one that really made me get like the... Like Wicker Man is great. Wait, oh, I love Wicker Man. Blood oh. on Satan's Claw is... It veers a little bit closer to like exploitation territory. Yeah. Like it feels, mm-hmm. it just feels more dangerous. Really, and it's it's a level of danger that's that's to it that I think. I, I love full car movies, or at least all the ones that I've seen so far. I'm still a baby with that genre, but that was the one that there. It was just scary. And what's so funny is that I never watched it growing up, or rather, when I was like 18. And uh, I got Netflix. And it was like Netflix first started doing streaming. And Blood on Satan's Claw was on there. I assumed that the title was so cool that this movie has to suck. You it know? is one of the greatest movie titles it's ever. It's the coolest title of all time. And I was like, I'm like there's no way this is going to be a good Twitch movie. What about Twitch of the Death Nerve? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Number three on my list is also... Wow, holy shit, I didn't realize this. Uh-oh. What-oh? Okay, it's another full car movie. I have three full car movies on my That's list. That's awesome. I have fucking eight movies from Japan on a list okay. of ten movies. <laughs> Number three is one that I am just going to say the title, say the date, and attempt to say the director's name, and then we're going to move right on. We're not going to talk about it. That movie is Wilczyka. She-Wolf. A Polish film from 1983 directed by Marek Piestrek. All right. Why do we have a moment of silence? It's great. Why ta- can't no, we no, talk no, 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 about no. it? We're not talking about it. Batgirl just came in and... Get this fucking cat out. Get the fuck out of here. What are you doing? <laughs> uh, we're not talking about it because... Uh, we'll talk about it more... Very soon. We're, 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 we have a, a thing coming up with that uh, that, that, that film. But I can't, it, I can't believe that... Okay, so... You gave this little speech about how you intentionally tried to pick all these different movies, but you got all this folk horror. Well, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, they're all great films. Yeah. So this year, I rewatched a lot more movies than I did last year. Last year, I was barreling through new shit. And and you mentioned earlier how I do a thing where I watch a new to me Akira Kurosawa film every year. This year, I did not watch a new to me Akira Kurosawa film, but instead I just rewatched three of my favorite Akira Kurosawa movies. Well, we got to see seven samurai on 35 yeah, millimeter yeah, yeah. throne of blood. Like, yeah. And, and Yojimbo. So, I mean, I rewatched a lot of stuff this year. Didn't, didn't really tick off a lot of new stuff, but speaking of ticking number two, oh, number two, I know on my, what you're going to say. I'm going to start to cry. Just thinking about it. Number two on my list is, Johnny Toe's 1999 film, Running Out of Time. Which was on my runners-up list. This is one that I absolutely adored. I am not the biggest fan of Andy Lau, which is kind You're of... wrong. I know, I know. He's everyone's favorite Hong Kong guy, Andy Lau. Uh, I don't love him, and I think I do now. My okay, My good. tune is officially changed. This movie... He is just amazing in it. And it, it's... It's so good. A, a lot of the movies on my list 
have a fair amount of melodrama and running out of time. It's sort of like the thing you were saying about Zatuichi, where it's like, yes, there are action movie tropes. And in the case of Zatuichi, there's sword fighting. In the case of running out of time, there's sort of like this cop and criminal dynamic. But the real meat is the melodrama yeah. of the scenes where you're and, just like openly crying. And Johnny Toe is just a master of melodrama. He's someone who has done this amazing fusion not necessarily with this film, but like with his a lot of his later films of merging this like modern triad, you know, pensive action movie with just this like super earnest melodrama, which almost feels childlike. And I think what feels childlike about a lot of his movies, even like the most violent ones, is the earnestness that he has. He's never doing anything ironically. Even when he's making a joke, he's doing it like seriously you know or or that like he's just he's such a unique filmmaker and he's a very hard nut to crack oh yeah he's not someone who i I can imagine if you come out of the blue and you watch a johnny toe movie you'd be like "Uh, i don't know if i like that but then the more you kind of sit with him and the more of his films you watch and the more you understand his like proclivities he's one of a kind talent and i i absolutely love johnny toe now Running Out of Time, I think, is another movie that Bobby showed us. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it was. It absolutely was. That was a banger Bobby, day. Oh, my God. We got to have Bobby We got to send show. her a fucking fruit basket is yes. what we got to do. Oh, in my the, God. In the shape of Andy Lau's head. Yeah. Oh. An Andy Lau ice sculpture. Wow. Yeah. God bless you, Bobby. But also, for anybody who wants to see Running Out of Time, doesn't know anything about it, it just got a release as part of a box set yeah or the whole trilogy the whole trilogy so we'll have to watch parts two and three this Can't year wait. because i keep hearing two is just as yeah, good a- as the eric bresler told us uh, our, our last guest told us that yeah running out of time sequels are just as good i can't wait it's so exciting all right so my list so far number 10 was field in england number nine queen of black magic number eight writing wrongs number seven the decameron number six tales from the hood Five, Creatures from the Abyss. Four, Blood on Satan's Claw. Three was She-Wolf. Two, Running Out of Time. And number one. Drum roll. The best film I watched this year. This is why when you gave out your number one, my like, I, my hand went right to my heart. Your number one was Naked Killer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Simon Yam. He's our guy. Oh, is your number one what I think it's going to be? Number one for me was Twists. Oh, hell yeah. The 1995 (laughs) Danny Lee Category 3 flick that just fucking... Okay, Twist is one that I loved the whole movie. I was vibing the whole time. But every 10 minutes, I looked over at you and I said... This ain't a Category 3 film. You know, uh, <laughs> 10 more minutes goes by, and I said, this ain't a Category 3 film. No, they have fun. Danny Lee, so as a, the director, Danny Lee has fun with you for a while. He really and, does. And, like, lulls you into this sense of thinking that this is just, like, a fun crime drama with some tension between these cops and this super sexy criminal. And then it, it's a different movie. <laughs> this movie is just... Uh, a fun little movie 
And then it has 20 minutes of fucking gnarly brutality. And the whole time that that like gnarly shit's going on, it still kind of has this like fun or no, it doesn't. No, I don't know. There's the whole thing with the ice cube. That's not fun. I'm not spoiling this. There's some ice cubes, people. But we're not saying anything else yeah, about them. I em. didn't say anything else. I just said ice cubes. But Simon, <laughs> <laughs> Simon Yam like takes it up to twelve in yeah. this one. You know what? I, I think what what I'm I'm gonna do is I'm gonna upload uh, this to the Google Drive and I'm gonna put it on our Discord. So anyone who wants to watch Twist, feel free. It's uh, it'll, it'll, I'll put it. I'll put that up later today. Oh my God! It's uh, it's just like. <laughs> It's a Category 3 movie. You know, I love that your list ended with a Cat 3 and so did mine. Wow. And with Simon with Yam. With Simon Yam, our yeah, boy. We didn't, so we we didn't really share lists. Like no. We, we sort of vaguely discussed certain things, which is why I knew not to put Running Out of Time on my list. Because I had it on mine. But I did not <laughs> know about twists. There you go. What a twist. Can we talk about two single runners up? Sam, we just talked about 500 movies. You want to talk about more movies? Are you kidding well, me? Well, I just want to say best new movie of the year, Crimes of the Future, uh, which which we did an episode about. We did a happy hour on that. Yeah. I would say the best movie of the year was Avatar 2, The Way of Water. Because uh, I didn't see Crimes of the Future four times. You know what I'm saying? Crimes of the Future wasn't an IMAX 3D and and wouldn't that be insane if it were and after crimes of the future ended i didn't want to kill myself because i couldn't go to the like dirty greek town it took place in you know i'm just gonna block all this out all right so the best new movie of the year was crimes of the future and and my other runner-up that i really tried to figure out how to squeeze into the list is diary of a big man which we talked about on a so we talked about crimes of the future on a happy hour but we made that happy hour public so it's like a unofficial episode but we talked about Diary of a Big Man on a happy hour where... Oh, our Chai Yun Fat we, Marathon yeah, we episode. We had this that great Chai Yun Fat Marathon. But this romantic comedy he's in called Diary of a Big Man, we watched at least two or three times this year. And it's one of those movies that I can never stop thinking about. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. It's magical. Because I never really liked... Uh, like Chinese comedy in films, you know, it just never really like did it for me. I also feel the same way about uh, Italian. Well, I still feel the same way about Italian comedy, but like now that I've seen so many Hong Kong movies, they're like the comedy code has been cracked in my brain. Yeah. And Diary of a Big Man is just this like, it's a rom-com. It's like a, it's a rom-com that has the same plot as every episode of Family Matters where they're like Steve Urkel has two dates to the prom, you know, and that's all. Except in this episode, it's Chalion Fat, and he marries them both. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's delightful, this little movie. And that's it, so nice. It has one of the best uh, musical interludes of all time. Okay, so now that we just got done, the very fascist process of having a list. We didn't rank them. It's only fascist if there's a hierarchy. Okay, well, tomato, tomato, I guess. Uh, <laughs> well, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. I, th- I feel like we watched a lot of great movies last year. I watched so many Japanese movies. Yeah. I, I plan to continue that this year. Part of it was 
for different well research projects for i feel like different projects but yeah because we're, we're constantly doing like episodes on very different topics and because you know i know a lot less about the stuff than than you do obviously so i gotta fucking watch like 10 goddamn movies you know in order to like play catch up and it's so nice when they're my favorite movies that i've ever seen in i movie. love you know, it's it like, that's it's, it's lovely yeah it's also making me so we we took a little break a much needed break at the end of december and talking about all the great things we watched last year it's just making me excited to record episodes with lots of fun new guests this year yeah coming up we're gonna be talking about avatar 2 the way of no we're not all of our best friends all right see you later everybody where he lies you want me what where he lies oh where he lies where he Oh, very nice. 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 Oh,